I just had a swig of Polyjuice Potion, and we'll be performing this episode as Garrison Keeler. You're listening to the Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter Book Club, where all the Gryffindors are strong, all the Ravenclaws good-looking, and all the Hufflepuffs strictly average. St. Potter, the Mudblood's friend, he's another one with no proper wizard feeling, and people think he's Slytherin's heir. I wish I knew who it is. I could help them. But I know one thing. Last time the Chamber of Secrets was opened, a mudblood died. So I bet it's a matter of time before one of them's killed this time. I hope it's Granger. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm... Alex Dallenberg. Not Garrison Keeler. Not Garrison Keeler. Sorry, guys. Uh, that was a good impression, though. I liked it. It was all right. Polyjuice <laughs> Potion doesn't exist, but... Uh, In this book, boy, does it. Transformations aplenty. We are reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Our chapters today are The Polyjuice Potion and The Very Secret Diary. You're going to hear some spoilers and some cursing, and today our adult themes are... Drinking the essence of your enemies, crippling self-doubt, unsecure passwords, self-immolation, non-consensual valentines, and mouthy diaries. So, uh, you want to tell us what happened? It's been a quiet week at Hogwarts, my alma mater, out there on the edge of the Forbidden Forest. In this week's chapters, Harry is dragged up to Dumbledore. Well, he's not really dragged. He walks obediently behind Minerva McGonagall to Dumbledore's office. He doesn't even really get questioned by Dumbledore, but Dumbledore is just like, anything you want to tell me, Harry, about a chamber of secrets? And or is there anything you want to tell me? Harry, for some reason, doesn't say anything. Dumbledore's office is pretty cool. There's a bunch of whirring silver, like, I don't know, Apple products or something like that. There's an exploding bird. So Dumbledore keeping it weird. This bird is like adding extra trauma to Harry that he doesn't need because he's, you know, he's waiting for Dumbledore and this bird looks sick as fuck. Like, not like sick, that's really fucking cool, although later on the bird is sick as fuck, but right now he's just straight up ill. And Harry thinks, damn, the last thing I need right now is for this bird to fucking die on me while I'm waiting to be interrogated about whether I'm the heir of Slytherin. And then of course the bird bursts into flames because Dumbledore be playing all the day, air day. Harry sees the sorting hat and decides to have another sorting conversation to which the sorting hat's like, bro, you would have been great in Slytherin. I stand by my sorting decision. Harry's like, you're not my real dad. (laughs) Takes the fucking hat off. Yeah, he takes it off and then yells at the hat. He's like, you're wrong. Hats stay on your fucking shelf forever. (laughs) I'm glad you only get to come out once a year. Anyway, so I got to speed this up. We spent a lot of time in Dumbledore's office and it's like three pages. Hagrid bursts in with a bunch of dead roost, well, well, one dead rooster to tell Dumbledore that Harry could not be the heir of Slytherin, which Dumbledore's like, yeah, bro, I don't think he's the heir of Slytherin. I am just giving people searching glances with my sparkling blue eyes. Uh, what else? Such a daddy. Yeah, it's Christmas time. Harry gets a toothpick from the Dursleys because the Dursleys be Dursleying. The Polyjuice is still stewing, but Hermione has worked up a 
crazy complicated plan in order to get pieces of Crab and Goyle and Millicent Bulstrode that they need to turn into Slytherin so they can get the truth out of Draco. Involves sleeping potion and stealing people's clothes. So, you know, Harry and Ron turn into Crab and Goyle. Hermione accidentally turns herself into a Catwoman because she didn't have a piece of uh, Millicent Bolstrode's hair. She had some cat hair because I guess Millicent is a cat person. Despite all their careful planning, Harry and Ron haven't figured out where the Slytherin common room is, so that was a flaw. But they figure it out because they run into Draco. They promptly find out that he isn't the heir of Slytherin, but he would really like to know who is. Hermione is hospitalized because she's turned into half cat or a quarter cat. I don't know. Hopefully Filch doesn't find out because he's definitely on the market. At least doesn't count if your wife is petrified, right? So uh, Harry and Ron discover a diary that's been thrown away into the out of order bathroom, Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, because Filch is making a stink about there being water all over the floor. Filch's job fucking sucks because this emo ghost is just always flooding the hallway. Anyway, they find this diary. Ron's like, I don't know, man, that looks super sketchy. Maybe we just shouldn't pick up random things we find around Hogwarts. Harry says, nah, man, I got this. And pockets the diary. It has the name Tom Riddle on it, which Ron tells us is the name of a kid who went to Hogwarts 50 years ago who won an award for services to the school. Ron knows this because he was polishing trophies all night for crashing the car into the Whomping Willow. Um... Professor Lockhart hires a bunch of singing dwarves to deliver everyone valentines because the school needs a morale booster. So Lockhart, kind of right in this case, but executed poorly as Lockhart does. I don't know. Was it executed poorly? I think it was executed rather well. Maybe. I don't know. It depends on what you're into. Not everyone's into singing telegrams delivered by, like, biker dwarves, basically. Uh... That's super what I'm into. I would have married you all over again if you had sent me one of those. A singing dwarf, biker dwarf. <laughs> well, the, yeah. the illustration on the very secret diary chapter, he's got like a heart tattoo. I know. On it's his like bare arm, really you know. Sweet. Yeah. So, I think it's a cool thing, but Harry hates it. I mean, what bar was Lockhart hanging out at where he like found these guys? You know, it's not the Leaky Cauldron. I feel like it's like a bear bar. Yeah, it That's is a bear bar on Diagon Alley. Yeah. Uh, I, think, I think that he's looking for, like, a daddy bear. <laughs> and instead he found dwarf bears. Dwarf bears, yeah. So Lockhart was at a dwarf bear bar and found this troop. Anyway, speeding along, Harry writes in the diary to try to figure out how it works. It's got all these blank pages, right? And, you know, it's magical. The diary talks back to him. Harry is sucked into the past and sees what happened the last time the Chamber of Secrets is opened. Tom Riddle shows him that uh, it was Hagrid who opened the Chamber of Secrets and had, like, a spider monster. So Harry's like, oh shit, this really complicates things for me. And that's where we are right now. I don't know if I explained that whole Tom, the whole Tom Riddle diary thing is really, like, complex. But well, we'll talk about it Yeah, more. basically he meets, you know, Tom's like, sup, dude, uh, you up? <laughs> uh, yeah, Harry writes in the diary, you up? Tom is like, like, I can show you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I am. We'll talk more about the diary yeah. mechanism. Age. But he writes this... ASL in the diary. 
this the, they end on a crazy ass cliffhanger. Yeah. Harry like bursts in the common room and he's like, "Yo, it was fucking Hagrid." And Ron and Hermione are like, "Oh," and then like, the chapter's bum, over. Bum, 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 yeah. to be continued. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. This anyway, uh, a plus chapters as usual. Thanks, J.K. Rowling, for writing a very exciting book. It's <laughs> a series of very exciting books, in yeah. fact. So first, we've got Hermione and the Polyjuice Potion. Yeah. This, one of the things it does is just underscore that Hermione doesn't need to fucking go to school because she is a literal genius. She, not only does she have time to make this incredibly complex potion for months and months, but she also does this whole other side plot where she figures out for Ron and Harry how they're gonna become Crab and Goyle. So she's like, oh, don't worry about it. I just whipped up a super speedy sleeping draft and <laughs> put it in these beautiful cakes. I'm sure it'll work. And Ron and Harry are like, uh, this seems really complicated. And Hermione's like, I don't see you guys with a fucking different plan. They didn't Did even, you make a sleeping potion? They don't no. even they don't even figure out where the Slytherin common room is. No. And they only have sixty minutes to get this job done and, it takes them and get 20, the fuck out of there. It takes them twenty minutes just to find fucking Draco. It's like, dude, do your like advance work. They did no recon. No. Like at all. No, they're they're like, all right, we're just the warm bodies who are gonna fulfill Hermione's plan. Yeah. Hermione's part of the plan is like expertly rendered, except she fucks up with Oh, the... she fucks up the one thing you can't fuck up, so Except they don't they don't end up really well, actually, they end up really super needing her, but it turns out that they kind of half-heartedly get the job done even without Hermione, but she does turn herself into a Catwoman. Um, brief shout-out also to Madame Pomfrey, because once again, Ron is like, she won't ask you anything. Yeah, so it's we'll take you, yeah, take you up to the hospital wing. And Madame Pomfrey straight up cures her. It's so funny how stoked Moaning Myrtle is. She's like, everyone is going to hate you. You can come live in the toilet with me, you stupid, <laughs> yeah. ugly bitch. Yeah, kill yourself. <laughs> Basically, Myrtle's so excited that Hermione has this horrible thing happen to her. Myrtle's awful. Oh, she's the worst. She's such a, t- I mean, she's such a great character. But she's, she's had an awful, awful, human. well, ghost. Yeah, she's had 50 years to think about this. And, and uh, she's still fucking obsessed with, like, minor slights by school children. Like, grow up, Myrtle. Except she never gets to she because she was murdered as a child. Uh, yeah. Jesus. Uh, I feel really sad for her, actually. Because yeah. Because she, this is like her own personal hell. Yeah, it is. She's content, condemned to haunt a toilet and... Have people be mean to her forever in the same way that they were mean to her as, like, a 13-year-old? Yeah. Like, it does not hashtag get better for Myrtle. Oof. Sorry. That was bleak. But, yeah, I do think it's funny how super excited Myrtle is that Hermione is all fucked up with a tail. She goes, wait till everybody finds out that you have a tail. (laughs) It's, like, the best thing that's happened to Myrtle in... Decades. Decades. Maybe ever. Oh, Myrtle. So... I want to talk a little bit, speaking of the Polyjuice Potion, about a big quibble I actually have with J.K. Rowling as a writer. Mm. One of my major ones, and one of my only ones, I do not love the evil equals ugly motif in these books. Okay. Crab and Goyle could be bad kids without being fat and ugly. Right. And I think there's so much like fat shaming of them. There's so much appearance shaming and I don't like how often the bad guys in Harry in the Harry Potter books 
are manifested as fat and or unattractive. Like, they're vicious about Millicent Bolstrode, too. Yeah. Harry unlocked his door and stepped in front of the cracked mirror. Goyle stared back at him out of dull, deep-set eyes. Harry scratched his ear. So did Goyle. Ron's door opened. They stared at each other. Except that he looked pale and shocked, Ron was indistinguishable from Crab, from the pudding bowl haircut to the long gorilla arms. This is unbelievable, said Ron, approaching the mirror and prodding Crab's flat nose. Unbelievable. We'd better get going, said Harry, loosening the watch that was cutting into Goyle's thick wrist. We've still got to find out where the Slithering Common Room is. I only hope we can find someone to follow. Ron, who had been gazing at Harry, said, You don't know how bizarre it is to see Goyle thinking. He banged on Hermione's door. Come on, we need to go. A high-pitched voice answered him. I don't think I'm going to come, after all. You go on without me. Hermione, we know Millicent Bulstrode's ugly. No one's going to know it's you. And, you know, you see that a bit with Dudley, too. Dud or the All the Dursleys. Petunia is described as horse-faced. She talks about how Dudley's ass is, like, hanging out over the sides of the chair. Fat people aren't bad. And ugly people aren't bad. And I think it's a really lazy marker in these books for badness. Right. I guess Draco's kind of attractive. But even Snape, like Snape being greasy and hook-nosed, like, just, that's not great. That's not a great way to describe a person in order to signify badness. Hook-nosed is something you never want to use. Like, don't uh, fucking describe your bad, or anyone is hook-nosed. Like, especially when your books are, like, pretty clear World War II Nazi analogs. That's just not a great description to use. Yeah, nothing like a scheming, hook-nosed, shady fellow. Uh, yeah, that's disturbing to me. I don't that know. that's how she writes her her villainous characters. So with Crab and Goyle, it's, it's this really physical chapter. Yeah. Where they're describing turning into Crab and Goyle and how grotesque these people are. And the whole time I'm like, these are kids. Like, they're not nice kids, but to linger so maliciously on their physical attributes as if those physical attributes are appropriate stand-ins for their like emotional right that's not what makes them bad people except maybe what makes them bad people is that people are so fucking mean to them because they're just like this is just what i look like and the fact that hermione puts the sleeping drafts in chocolate cakes and she's like don't worry about it like they'll eat whatever's put in front of them i'm sorry if there's something wrong with wanting to eat a delicious chocolate cake if this is torture baby chain me to the wall and it's christmas yeah let them have their cake there's nothing wrong with them seeing cakes that look fucking delicious and wanting to eat them like that shouldn't be a marker of immorality she does jk rowling often does equate gluttony to you know she she's really into that gluttony as a mortal sin kind of uh kind yeah. of thing because which i know, find du- kind of despicable in dudley dudley is always overeating mm-hmm. too mm-hmm which uh, maybe you shouldn't overeat in general, but... Uh... Well, it doesn't make you immoral. <laughs> right. There's... Fine. I mean, we can talk... Well, it does make Dudley immoral because Harry's not given enough to eat. Okay, but so like... So there's a lot around but, I the mean, morality it's, of eating. But I mean, it's also like learned behavior. Like Dudley is overfed. Dudley is overfed to the point that it's like nearly as abusive as Harry being underfed. Like, Dudley is... Right. Dud- Dudley's like one of those kids that the crazy parents are, like, feeding a whole bunch so they can get on, like, Maori. It's a little yeah. bit like that. No, it's... 
it's like Maori does the like really large. Is it Maori? I don't, I don't know. know. You know, what like you're daytime about. daytime talk shows where they're like, this I kid think is eight hundred. Maori. Pa- Maori. Oh my god! I'm like <laughs> Maori. Maori. You know what I mean? Like, I do. I feel like or Ricky Lake. No, I mean it's just I. I think it's less that and more they're like they haven't taught like the Dursleys don't teach either kids. Like, either Harry or Dudley, good values. Right, they haven't taught Dudley moderation. They haven't, and it's not really his fault that his parents are like, here, eat 30 pieces of bacon for breakfast. You're most beautiful when you look like a shining piglet. Like, that's not Dudley's fault. Like, kids are going to eat what their parents tell them it's okay to eat. Well, Ron is eating constantly. Right. And it's... But Ron is slender, so his eating doesn't become an indication of his... It's more funny. ...moral lassitude. Mm -hmm. I just find it really, it really is one of my biggest problems with these books. And it sometimes it makes certain chapters like uncomfortable for me that she so strongly equates physical attractiveness and very specifically weight with like moral So there's a attitudes. bit, there's a bit of a counterpoint here. Okay. And that's Gildory Lockhart, who is, everyone agrees, is like sexy as hell. Or not, not everyone, but you know, people are... He's the winner of Witch Weekly's Most Charming Smile Award, obviously, uh, and he's, you know, he's he's lovely, but he lacks his moral core. So I almost think she also has a problem with people that are too beautiful. Or, like, too into being beautiful. Right. Like, she doesn't like people that care about how they look. I just think she has, like, pretty prescriptive morality around physical appearances, which I don't like. Mm. I don't think that that's a good, like, to think that it's immoral to be either sort of fat and sloppy or to think that it's immoral inherently immoral to be someone who wants to look particularly beautiful i think those are both problems and i mean they come from like in muggle cult like in our culture Mm -hmm. they come from the same source i mean they come from the desire to police people's appearance because we equate appearance with like inner goodness or badness yeah so I don't think Crab and Goyle are good kids, but they're not bad because they're fat and ugly. Right. And I really get super squeamish with how strongly those two things are equated with one another. So speaking of Crab and Goyle, let's talk a little bit about what Harry and Ron learn while they are disguised as Crab and Goyle. For one thing, they learn that Draco is not the heir of Slytherin, but they also get a glimpse into what Draco acts like when he's not around other Hogwarts students like and as we saw in Bergen and Borks Draco's not putting on a show he is actually almost worse in private if you can believe it because he talks about how much he wants to find out who the heir of Slytherin is so he can help them he is really vicious about Arthur Weasley and Hermione and he's been clearly thinking a lot this year about you know his dad's beliefs and doubling and tripling down on them oh subscribing to them wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. but not counterpoint but just to kind of complicate that he talks constantly about his father Mm -hmm. he references his dad perpet like constantly and to me that says that he i think just because of his age also he's more obsessed with and invested in making his father proud and doing the things that will make a Malfoy love him then he is actively invested in the ideology I don't think he's thinking that hard about the ideology Mm. I think he's just 
Because think about how many times in that very short conversation he talks about, well, my father says, well, my father told me, well, well my father warned me, he told me this, he, and he does everything his dad tells him, like completely unquestioningly. So his dad says, it's great that they're purging the school of mudbloods, but like you should keep out of it because you don't want to get your nose dirty. He's obsessed with his father. So I felt a little bad for Draco in these chapters. He's a shitbird, but the, the kind of like word vomit frequency with which he mentions his dad says to me that this has way less to do with what he believes about the wider world. And he's just desperately wants his father's approval. One other note, the password for the Slytherin common room is pure blood. So fucked. What? Like, the? not okay, guys. Why is that allowed? Yeah, it's like if you were in, like, a regular-ass school, but you were in kind of the, like... This would be... It's like if your password was, like, white pride. This, like, this would be a scandal at, like, Duke. That's so fucked. It would be. It's <laughs> like one a of those, frat house. You're in a frat, and, like, the secret <laughs> password to the party is just, like, yeah. Or like, Hi- is, like, it's Heil, like Heil Hitler. Hitler yeah. Or, like, white pride. Yeah, that's, like, I was just not okay. Has anyone informed Dumbledore about this? Well, we actually had have the question of who even makes the passwords. Like, is it Snape? Or I think it's actually created think, by the common rooms themselves. Like, I think the fat lady it comes makes, up with the passwords. That's that was my so that whoever was my whatever like entity whatever sort of school entity gives passage yeah. to kids in Slytherin comes up with the password. Although a little bit of a little bit of Pottermore expanded universe, which I know we said we wouldn't get into very much, it's but. Fine. Apparently, the Hufflepuff password is you just knock out the syllables to Helga Hufflepuff. So, like, Helga Hufflepuff, because Hufflepuffs are too dumb to remember passwords. Aww. Poor Hufflepuffs. Cedric Diggory can remember a fucking password. Okay, but also, counterpoint, that's actually a better encrypted system. I mean, not really. If you all you need to know, it never changes, and oh, it never changes. Yeah, if it's I was just always gonna, knocking help. is better than just speaking. Yeah, but it's always just ba 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 ba. Yeah, I mean, they should have two factor authentication. Just in there general, should, yeah, they should they should be alphanumeric passwords, and it should be linked to like I don't know, Owl Post or something. Neville like that. would never go home. <laughs> he would just need to be with a. Minder like chaperone, yeah, minder. Times. I don't know. That's so humiliating. Yeah, it sucks. And I guess the Ravenclaw password is always like a riddle or a philosophical question that you have to answer. Ugh, I love Ravenclaws. Those guys are just like thinking. Good for them. Apparently, Slytherins and Gryffindors go on the go on the password system. Yeah, and, except and Dumble and Dumbledore, which is just names of treats. Yeah, well, it's Dumbledore lemon is drop just candy. in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Later on, it's like yeah, but at, every time we go to Dumbledore's office, it's a different snack yeah it's whatever he's eaten most recently <laughs> and it's always Dumbledore just lives entirely on sugar at this point Dumbledore kind of lives in Candyland like he <laughs> reminds me of the old what's the old guy in Candyland the like the king oh yeah king uh I don't remember king Candyland king candy maybe is his name who the fuck knows yeah. anyway that's who I kind of imagine as Dumbledore sometimes the licorice guy always freaked me out as a tiny child lord licorice very freaky looking. He's kind of Voldemorty. Or Snape look. He kind of uh, looks like Snape. Fan theory: Harry Potter is just Candyland. Nope. This, it's, this doesn't fan hold theory makes any no, water. No. This makes no sense. Okay, uh, we gotta move on. But actually, <laughs> this is a good transition because speaking of candy, it's Valentine's Day. Yes. This is one of the better scenes in this book. Like the better kind of non-essential scenes in this book. Her treatment of holidays is always so excellent. It's fucking delightful. Absolutely. 
Gilderoy is like, you know what would be fun? If we went balls to the wall on Valentine's Day this year. <laughs> what these kids need is to be publicly humiliated via crushes. Because having a crush isn't bad enough. I'm going to just like... Because he's, he's obsessed with... Well, he's obsessed with love, but in a kind of sinister way. Like, not actual felt love. I mean, he basically is, like, a living hero of a bad romance novel. (laughs) So I really like that he's into the kind of, like, shtick of, like, public declarations of affection. I think that's a really funny detail. And I like that he, like, he wears his beautiful pink robes to, like, match the heinous decorations. (laughs) And like you said, these dwarves are doing the Lord's work out here. Losing his head, Harry tried to make a run for it, but the dwarf seized him around the knees and brought him crashing to the floor. Right, he said, sitting on Harry's ankles. He's just singing Valentine. His eyes are as green as a fresh pickled toad. His hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he were mine. He's really divine. The hero who conquered the Dark Lord. Harry would have given all the golden gringots to evaporate on the spot. Um, I love that shit. Do we ever encounter dwarves again? I can't remember. Yeah, we'll have to see. But uh, I mean, they're just a—they're just another sort of. It's—it's it's just dead. It's like enriching the tapestry of this is magical creatures. This is one of the few things Lockhart almost pulls off. Clearly, he should just be an event planner. Oh yeah, no, he should be a party planner, one hundred percent. Like the decorations are—they're gauche, but they're Valentiny. The dwarf thing—I don't know. Also, like you said, everyone like, seems to hate it. But. He's not wrong about there needing desperately to be some kind of morale booster. Mm-hmm. Like, and Dumbledore probably should have thought of that, but of course he didn't because he's fucking eating gumdrops. Dude, Dumbledore probably helped plan this whole fucking thing. <laughs> just like, this is very. There's something. Dumbledore's hand is here somewhere. Yeah. Or true. he's. Dumbledore hasn't been in this book very much, actually. He's just been up in his office, except for you know when he chats with, uh, chats with Harry or. He's literally not, hauls a... Dumbledore's not actually in the early books that much at right. all. Like, yeah, I mean, Dumbledore kind of this... only starts regularly talking with Harry in, like, books four and five. Yeah. I guess he usually... Dumbledore shows up at the end. To, to like, drop try, the wisdom you know. bombs. Mm-hmm. But anyway, Valentine's Day gives us the opportunity to see a character that we have no idea the import of. And I think there's a little bit of foreshadowing here, uh, which is Ginny Weasley, who is having a rough school year. Way worse than Harry's first year, which involved him murdering a teacher at the end of it. Yeah, um, so we'll see what exactly Ginny's been up to. Readers or watchers already know what we're talking about. But you see Ginny getting sort of excessively disturbed about all the shit that's going down. And there's kind of this sense that she's just sort of an overexcited and like oversensitive first year girl false Ginny is actually made of steel and we're gonna see what a fucking badass she is in later books but like Fred and George are merciless yeah they're teasing they're like jumping out from behind statues and like trying to spook her right because they think she's overreacting to the Slytherin beast first of all you're not overreacting to the possibility of your fellow students getting murdered there's no way to overreact to that Mm 
Um, but there's this one moment in the Valentine scene. So first of all, I think it's pretty clear that the Valentine for Harry has come from Ginny. Which is fucking sweet. You sweet, sweet girl. You and Harry deserve each other. You really do. And good for you. But then there's this little moment where the diary, the Tom Riddle's diary, like flies out of Harry's bag. As the dwarf is assailing him. As the dwarf is To get him to sit still for his his Valentine. Yeah, he had he hired like what was that fucking concert that was supposed to be like the rock and roll Woodstock and instead like the Hell's Angels guarded it and oh my, yeah, I a know bunch of people got <laughs> murdered. Anyway, I forget what the name of the concert is, but that's like he hired those Hell's Angels to like deliver Valentines <laughs> to children. It's like fucked up. So, anyway, um Draco in the melee gets hold of the diary and Harry expelliarmuses him to get the diary back and Ginny sees the diary and there's just like one line that she like looks from Harry to the diary and like turns white as a sheet. So she, you kind of get a sense that she knows what this thing is. Mm -hmm. Oh boy does she. Yep. Poor Ginny. Um, It's coming for you girl. I really like Ginny. She's a sweet kid. Mm -hmm. She's, she is sensitive. She's not oversensitive, but she's she's super, super sweet-spirited. So that's all. Valentine's Day is that's a great scene. It's hard for everyone. I like mm-hmm. how embarrassed the teachers are. Oh my god, I know. Yeah, the teachers are like, uh, have you never met children? This is terrible. <laughs> this is such a... And that the dwarves are interrupting everyone's classes with these singing telegrams. Do you remember Valentine's Day, like, in high school? Oh, Girls would be walking around with, like... 30 mylar balloons at my school. It was a <laughs> big deal at North High School. Yeah, it's pretty true to life. So let's talk about the diary. There's a lot going on here. There's the aspect of Harry literally having a dialogue with a text, which are the words of Tom Riddle. There's the fact that Voldemort, nay Tom Riddle, has been able to basically preserve his essence in side these pages there's a lot going on here that has to do with memory um you know the reliability of memory and writing and texts and uh, i i don't know they're just so i love the diary aspect and later on we learn that the diary itself literally contains a part of voldemort's soul which is keeping him alive so jk rowling writes really interestingly about the power of text and the power of books. The diary mechanism actually sort of comes back a little bit with the Half-Blood Prince. Mm -hmm. So there are multiple times in the series when Harry is accessing forbidden knowledge via conversations with like a text object and both times there's an element of real danger to those texts that I think is an interesting thing coming from a writer. Ron right away says that books can be dangerous in a very literal sense. Harry and Ron looked under the sink where Myrtle was pointing. A small, thin book lay there. It had a shabby black cover and was as wet as everything else in the bathroom. Harry stepped forward to pick it up, but Ron suddenly flung out an arm to hold him back. What? 
said Harry. Are you crazy? said Ron. It could be dangerous. Dangerous? said Harry, laughing. Come off here. How could it be dangerous? You'd be surprised, said Ron, who was looking apprehensively at the book. Some of the books the ministries confiscated, Dad's told me, there was one that burned your eyes out, and everyone who read Sonnets of a Sorcerer spoke in limericks for the rest of their lives, and some old witch in Bath had a book that you could never stop reading. You just had to wander around with your nose in it, trying to do everything one-handed, and... All right, I've got the point, said Harry. The little book lay on the floor, nondescript and soggy. Well, we won't find out unless we look at it, he said, and he ducked around Ron and picked it up off the floor. That's something that comes up even before this, the idea that in the wizarding world, books are potent sources of magic and often potent sources of dangerous magic is a theme from the very beginning of the series. I mean, the exi- we've talked about this there's a the, little bit. There's the screaming book well, in the restricted the section. The existence of a restricted section of a library gives you the sense, you know, we talked about it before as censorship, but it's also just the texts in this world are profoundly powerful. And I guess I, I want to unpack a little bit about what you think J.K. Rowling is saying about the power of text and the written the written word it's interesting that it's so often framed as a power that is dangerous you know because i think a lot of writers write lesser writers frankly write a little florally about how extraordinary a connection with a book can be there's a lot of middle grade and ya novels where reading a special book changes a character's life and makes them see the world differently. I think um, John Green's The Fault in Our Stars is a good example Mm -hmm. of there's a text within a text there that sort of sets the main characters on the the sort of major quest of the novel. Right, but in these books, they're almost always treacherous or... Sinister. Yeah, they're... Which is an interesting tack for a writer to take, and I think it's cool but i'm also like what are you saying well i like her description of all the ways ron describes the different ways books can be bewitching she has this really powerful sense that what you read can transform who you are in physical ways it's more than books open your eyes or like reading rainbow kind of shit Mm -hmm. it's more profound than that and that makes it a really powerful statement about the necessity of the written word but also a kind of confusing statement about the dangers of engaging with i mean i guess i'm just is she's just saying the basic books are powerful or do you think that there is an element of her saying that depending on what kinds of texts you engage with you could be made bad i think it's more about her overall message of your agency it's about the moral choices the reader makes Hmm. because voldemort slash tom riddle is not a good he's not a good person his message is bad But Harry has to read this diary in order to complete his mission. And it's all about how he interprets what's in it. And he eventually figures out that he's being misled. 
So it's know, kind of that, yeah. No, I I think that's. Does that make sense? I think yeah. that's that's a pow- that's powerful. But I also think there's something. Or they books have to be questioned mainly is what she is saying. Right. Well, I think she's mainly saying two things. I think she's saying not to underestimate the power of literature, mm-hmm. but also you can make choices about what you learn and you have the power to react morally to received wisdom or information. You know, I know we try not to like reach outside of the books themselves to kind of explain what they are saying, but J.K. Rowling herself has talked, I think, pretty extensively about how profoundly influential reading was to her at various difficult times in her life. So she is an author who is extremely connected to the power of books to shape our destinies. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's really cool how literal... I mean, we've talked before about one of the things that she does really interestingly is externalize or literalize metaphorical ideas in various ways and that's one of the stronger things that you can do in a middle grade book but I think it also works really well for grown-ups so that here's another example of giving these really concrete exciting well-rendered literal representations of metaphorical concepts but I still go back to the I think it's brave of her to couch them as treacherous like I said, it's not like some reading rainbow, like you can go anywhere in the world if you just <laughs> let your mind follow a book. It's more serious than that. She's like, I'm not saying that books can like move you. I'm saying that books can fucking change you. Harry nearly upset his ink bottle in his hurry to write back. It's happening again now. There have been three attacks and no one seems to know who's behind them. Who was it last time? I can show you if you like came Riddle's reply. You don't have to take my word for it. I can take you inside my memory of the night when I caught him. Harry hesitated, his quill suspended over the diary. What did Riddle mean? How could he be taken inside somebody else's memory? He glanced nervously at the door to the dormitory, which was growing dark. When he looked back at the diary, he saw fresh words forming. Let me show you. Harry paused for a fraction of a second and then wrote two letters. O.K. Butterfly in the sky, I can go twice as high. Take a look, it's in a book, a reading rainbow. Something else that stood out to me is Harry's instant attraction to the book. Mm. He, Ron wants him to get rid of it, and Harry feels this pull toward, yeah. toward Tom Riddle's diary. Well, because he also immediately feels this 
connection to Tom Riddle, which I think is very interesting. He notices right away that the book came from a muggle bookstore in London, so he correctly guesses that he must have been not brought up in the Wizarding World, and he feels this kind of kinship. Well, the the exact description of how he feels when he reads the name Tom Riddle is very arresting and very specific. He says when he reads the name, he f- has a feeling like this is someone he knew a long time ago when he was a child and like the memories themselves have been erased, but the like relationship still sort of exists somewhere in his brain, which is fascinating because it's he's right in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. I mean the 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 and it sort of speaks to Harry's I think perceptiveness because like the emotion he feels and identifies about Tom Riddle is not actually very off base because Tom Riddle is Voldemort and Voldemort was one of the most important encounters of Harry's very, very, very early childhood. Mm-hmm. So his he's extremely perceptive and this also does a thing that this book is doing more and more where it sets up the fact that whether or not Harry likes it, he has a connection to Voldemort. Like, he has a relationship with this figure mm-hmm. that is more than just straight enmity. Like, there's something that binds them together that is sort of irresistible for him. Which is, like, fucked up, but super cool. <laughs> One more thing about the book thing. Mm-hmm. Ron's reaction, I think, is sort of indicative of... The Wizarding World is actually fairly anti-intellectual. Mm. And... Um, Ron's immediate fear and distrust of the diary, to me, is sort of a symbol of the Wizarding World's rejection of um, curiosity. Well, we see that a bit with Professor Bins, too, because he says, don't think too hard about this stuff. Right, uh, which is a crazy thing is for a, a teacher to mm-hmm. say. This is a legend. Right, and so there's there's a lack of curiosity and a really that wizards think really concretely there's a lack of imagination about what literature and text and metaphor and legend can offer a society so i just think ron's reaction is pretty telling of how wizards fear intellectual openness and and reject a certain kind of curiosity ron is a pretty uncurious character a lot of the time except when he's sort of influenced by Harry and Hermione. Right. Well, he sees the pages and thinks, oh, it's blank. So, right. just didn't write in it. Right. But he also sees a book and thinks evil, which is crazy. <laughs> so, that's the diary. And what do we learn from the diary? We learn something super fucked up. Which is that, well, in the diary's telling, actually, the diary doesn't exactly lie. Well, no, the diary doesn't lie. I mean, the diary shows true events, mm-hmm. but, but it a, misleads. Right, in a way that's not true. Right. No, it doesn't show Harry right. something that didn't happen, but it shows right. Harry something that he interprets incorrectly. So we see that Tom Riddle is being questioned by Professor Dippet, the former headmaster, in 1942. And just as now is happening, the Chamber of Secrets has been opened and something is attacking students and has killed one of them. And Professor Dippet tells Tom, who's asked to stay at Hogwarts for the summer because he hates the Muggle orphanage where he lives, he tells him, sorry, like, you can't stay here if the beast is still attacking people. 
and we might have to close the school altogether. So Tom obviously does not want this to happen. So he's like, well, we better catch the whoever's opening the chamber. And he goes and finds Hagrid, who is trying to release this spider beast and accuses Hagrid of sicking this monster on other students. And there's a struggle and then fade to black. Harry realizes or Harry thinks that Hagrid's the one who opened the Chamber of Secrets. Okay, this is a doozy. It's that's the dumbest thing for anyone to think. It is crazy how many people believed Tom Riddle that it was fucking Hagrid. Like that makes no fucking sense. That makes no sense. And we sort of we learn ish here I don't think it's made explicit but I mean it, it it's implied that Tom Riddle turns Rebeus Hagrid in Professor Dippet believes Tom Riddle mm-hmm. Hagrid gets expelled and his fucking life gets basically ruined Professor Dumbledore doesn't believe Tom Riddle but doesn't do anything about it he's just like you seem sketchy but okay and Hagrid is falsely accused of this insane thing that could not fucking possibly be Hagrid. There is no way it's him. Well, the interesting thing is, when Tom is first talking to Harry, he says things were covered up. And that I got a medal for to the school for, like, my trouble. And he doesn't quite, I don't know, he doesn't quite say that it was Hagrid for sure. He just shows Harry this thing that happened. Well, but he's that's what he's meaning to tell yeah, yeah. Harry. I don't know if it is crazy that Hagrid would be blamed. It's not logical that Hagrid would be blamed, but let's remember, he's half giant. He seems suspicious. You know, there's this kind of prejudice in the wizarding world. And also Professor Dippet just wants this, presumably just wants this problem like out of the way. So when the attacks stop, Everyone is, like, happy, more or less, because they've scapegoated Hagrid, you know? Tom Riddle's happy. The Hogwarts administration is they're just, like, done with it. And Tom Riddle, even in talking with Harry, kind of hints at the fact that Hogwarts just wanted this problem to go away. They didn't care about the truth of what happened, which is an experience Harry can relate to because he's had pretty sketchy interactions with all the professors in Sorcerer's Stone. You know, McGonagall didn't listen to him when he said Snape was someone was going to steal the Sorcerer's Stone. Okay, so then counterpoint. This story, to me, all it ends up doing is show the utter amorality of Dumbledore. Because he fucking knows. But he can't prove it. He doesn't try very hard. That's true. Also, he lets Hagrid take the fall. And become he his seems, and become, and his, become slave, his servant. Basically. <laughs> yeah. He's like, servant. oh, poor Hagrid. Like, it's fine. I'm going to give you a place to be. And Hagrid is forever in debt. Like, Hagrid is crazy grateful to Dumbledore. His admiration and gratitude towards Dumbledore is incredibly outsized, like borderline creepy. And Dumbledore never tells Hagrid, by the way, I straight up let you take the fall for this. Dumbledore could easily have gone to Professor Dippet. Dumbledore is clearly at this point, pretty powerful teacher. 
like he's already done a lot of the shit that he's gonna be famous for. Well, he, in three years from this point, he's gonna duel Grindelwald. Doesn't he defeat? He defeats Grindelwald in forty-five. Yeah, but yeah. even I mean, the Sorcerer's Stone he's already collaborated on. Like a lot of like he's yeah, already yeah. a big deal wizard. Yeah. he's important. Mm-hmm. He's a Hogwarts professor. He fucking knows it isn't Hagrid. Yeah, he straight up lets Hagrid take the fall and lets Hagrid's life proceed. For 50 fucking years, as though Hagrid opened the Chamber of Secrets. He never tries to clear his name, even when Dumbledore is the most powerful wizard in England. He doesn't even fucking try to give Hagrid a fair hearing. He allows him to be a menial laborer with no education and no prospects for most of Hagrid's adult life. Yeah. That is fucked. Hagrid is, uh, well, from, thanks to the timeline, we know Hagrid's what, like 63 at this point? Yeah. Since he's 13 when he was expelled? I, that actually, first of all, that surprised me. I imagined Hagrid early on as like in his 30s. Hagrid's kind of old. Maybe giants have different lifespans. That's That was my thinking. Yeah, it must be such. I mean, also, Dumbledore, Dumbledore is, is old as extremely fuck. old, so wizards themselves might have a bit more longevity. Right. Well, Madame Pomfrey is keeping them all alive. <laughs> single-handedly. Well... We now learn that even during the greatest generation, Hogwarts was off the rails. Oh, it is interesting to get the timeline. It's also mm-hmm. freaky that all this is going down like in the middle of World War II. Right. Like, wizards are having their own weird like showdowns while World War II is happening. Because, yeah, based on the, the timeline that we've calculated, Harry's born in 1980. Mm-hmm. So this book is taking place in 1992, right? Which makes the... Chamber of Secrets opened the first time yeah. in 1942. Mm-hmm. Which is a really fucked up time for Muggle England, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just interesting. Yeah, man. Pearl Harbor's going down. Jesus. Like, when the chamber gets opened. Two more things, just like short updates. It turns out the Mandrakes are definitely sentient and definitely getting murdered. Madame Pomfrey was pleased to report that the Mandrakes were becoming moody and secretive meaning that they were fast leaving childhood. The moment their acne clears up, they'll be ready for repotting again. Harry heard her telling Filch kindly one afternoon. And after that, it won't be long until we're cutting them up and stewing them. You'll have Mrs. Norris back in no time. Those poor mandrakes. Yeah, I know. It's just like... They're being... Everything is so terrible in the wizarding (laughs) world. Oh my god. Oh, these books are so good, but Lord Almighty. And then Percy is Percying. There's actually Ron, Tom Riddle reminds Ron of Percy briefly, because all of Tom's, like, trophies and shit. He's prefect, he's head boy, so Rowling commenting a bit on overweening ambition and its perils there. Mm -hmm. Although, one thing I, another thing I like about the diary is it shows how brilliant Tom Riddle is to create something like this. He made this as a teenager. It's an amazing piece of, it's actually truly magical. Yeah, it's a phenomenal piece of magic. Mm -hmm. It's, and he's, yeah, you're right. There's a funny Percy moment in the hallway when Ron and Harry are disguised. Oh yeah, and he, uh, he says to them, you shouldn't be out in the corridors with, you know, all these monster shenanigans and they're basically like neither should you and he says uh i'm a prefect 
nothing's going to attack me. So way to have faith in uh, hierarchy. Don't yeah. think don't think the monster of Slytherin really gives a fuck. If He's you're gonna see your badge and be like, oh, <laughs> never mind, yeah. sir. Whoa, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to fuck with a prefect. You definitely seem like you could defeat me. So that's that's a comical moment, and <laughs> the, the, the monster of Slytherin's like, I don't want to get detention. Like <laughs> shit, go on the other way. <laughs> oh, good lord. Okay, who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero would be obviously the dwarves. For I mean, they just uh, they're really committed to their job. They're gonna fulfill the terms. Of their contract, grab Harry by the ankles, literally sit on him through it while they play the singing Valentine, and uh, that's just some dedication to craft. I wonder, is this something they can just be? Are they like a troop that can be hired for these things, or did? Has uh, <laughs> he just like assembled them? He's Lockhart, like, you guys yeah, want like Lockhart, twenty galleons? Did Lockhart recruit them? You know, like are their services advertised in the Daily Prophet? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the transaction looked like. There's no way that's in the Daily Prophet. That's on like the back pages of the Quibbler. <laughs> the Quibbler magazine, not the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's like that's like the alt weekly is just like, do you want to be stepped on with high heels? <laughs> that's where you find telegraph singing dwarfs. Single dwarf seeks. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are those are a different kind of personal ads. Ethically non monogamous dwarf seeks. <laughs> we learned that expression last night. Um, we're not that. We just no. learned it. We're ethically monogamous. Hopefully ethically. My... Can you uh, be unethically monogamous? Yeah. I mean, you can, like, beat your spouse. Oh, That's yeah, monogamy, right. That's... but unethical. All right, fair enough. We don't do that either. This got fucked up. Sorry. It got dark. It's a, val- it's a Valentine's episode in December. <laughs> My unsung heroes are Fred and George because they seem to be the only ones aware of the utter absurdity of thinking that Harry is the heir of Slytherin and they play it up in this like pretty delightful way. Every time he walks through the hall and they see him, they like walk in front of him trumpeting, beware the heir of Slytherin, seriously dangerous wizard coming through. I just like that they kind of get, provide Harry with some comfort because they're like, come on, mate. Like, nobody thinks this for real. It's crazy. <laughs> and he's like, ugh, thank you. I know, it's dumb. I like that Draco is infuriated by this behavior because just Harry gets credit for everything. Yeah, even. he's like, <laughs> why do you get the glory for a thing that's just clearly and manifestly not you? Yeah, or evil. Like, come on, that's, yeah. that's my thing, man. Yeah, can I just have one thing that's mine? Yeah. You get to be a seeker. Let me be evil. This week's episode is brought to you by Witch Weekly. Don't forget to vote in this year's Most Charming Smile Award. I'm voting for Gilderoy Lockhart. I think I'm going to vote for Professor Flitwick for Most Charming Smile. I love him. I don't know why. I've developed kind of a crush on Professor Flitwick. He's cute. Fair enough. The audio clips that you heard are Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, provided by Penguin Random House Audio, and available wherever you get your audiobooks. Highly recommended. We love them. And we have some requests. Um, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. That would be great. We have a lot of reviews and a fair number of ratings at this point. So you guys are helping us out a lot. And we love it. And we read them. And they're all very sweet. So far, they're all really sweet. Um, don't write a mean one. That is mean. 
Also, that helps other people. Well, good reviews help other people find the podcast. So that's a big help. We also have a newsletter. If you go to tinyletter.com slash quibblerpodcast, you will get super fun e-owls from us once-ish a week, including news about owls near you. Literal owls. Well, maybe. This week's owl news came out of Wisconsin. so. So if any of you are in Wisconsin, go to the zoo in somewhere in Wisconsin. That's a weird like Midwest name. It's like Babadoo or something. <laughs> and see the new snowy Baraboo, owls. Baraboo, Baraboo, Wisconsin. See the snow. There are snowy owls in Baraboo. And their names Wisconsin. are Aurora and Boris, which is super cute. I know. Uh, we have an Instagram now, which Heather created. So And a Twitter. Both are at Quibbler Podcast. Both are pretty fun. We're working on them. We're getting the social media thing down. Please interact with us on there if you'd <laughs> like to. Send us some thoughts, send us your art, whatever you want. Um, We'll love it. Next week's chapters are chapters 14 and 15 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Cornelius Fudge, and Aragog. So we're going to learn a little bit more about magical government. We are. And we're going to learn a lot more about giant spiders. So Mm. if you're reading along, that's what we're doing next week. If you're reading along, um, tweet at us or email us and tell us and let us know how it's going. I think at least a few of you are actually like reading the chapters with us. And I think that's so nice. So cool. I love it. That's like how we envision this working in a perfect world. So if you're doing that, we're stoked. Welcome. This is so fun. Yep. And if you find any diaries with blank pages in them, I guess you could write in it. See what happens. Yeah, you never know. Harry learns a lot of important shit. I mean, you know, it's scary, but he needs it. So (laughs) sure, do it. If you find a diary in a bathroom, uh, that's actually disgusting. Throw that away. That has pee on it. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Thanks. Amigos. What's the new password again? Oh, yeah. Pure blood. Here's some other books that you might like, but you don't have to take my word for it.